Hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun is set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is our third bonus episode, and we're coming to you from the tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing all right, Brennan. How are you? I am good, but if I never have to hear you talk about rotisserie chickens again, I will be a happy man. Okay, so two things in the world I love. Okay. Red lobster. Uh, yes. And rotisserie chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and I made the find of the century this week. Which was? I was in a secondhand store, Women in Need, a very good cause, and they had the Baby George rotisserie machine. And it was magical. It barely looked like it had been used. So uh, I did actually look up if I could buy one of these particular God-given inventions. <laughs> uh, miraculous tools. And Amazon, Amazon, they were like $400. Really? Yes, because I guess they don't make them anymore, so they're like a specialty kind of I'm thing. I'm just imagining something like the cornballer from Arrested Development, <laughs> where it's like a, a public health hazard, so they don't make it's them anymore. It's probably the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I brought it home, plugged her in, and figured, you know what? Go bigger, go home. So I went to Costco and I got three chickens, and I spent the entire afternoon rotisserizing chickens. So I now have three delicious rotisserie chickens in my fridge. You have the weirdest hobbies. I know, I know, I, I know. I sent you the the research notes I know. for this episode and the and the research like uh, sort of the required viewing. And I could have done that in between the ninety minutes it takes to rotisserie a chicken, but I didn't. Well, yeah, I could have, but I, I could have. Fuck you. So. Well, no, I didn't really. Well, I thought about it, but... Um. <laughs> but not hard enough to do it. No, Netflix was too strong. That was my Sunday afternoon. <laughs> the Lord's Day. Uh, the Lord's Day, yeah. I well, honored him with the rotisserizing of birds. So you crucified... No, no. No. <laughs> no. no. Rotisserie Jesus. <laughs> oh. That's no. a Tom Waits song, I think. Probably. Yeah. Uh, well, while you were uh, rotisserie well, Yeah, Jesus, what were you up to? I was reading about Centralia, Pennsylvania. Oh, which that's is, so responsible of you because that's what we're talking about. I know. Funny how that works out. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we thought we'd do this episode because we just did Pittsburgh. Yeah. And while we were talking about Pittsburgh, you mentioned that you'd always wanted to see Centralia. Right. And I have been there. Which is crazy. And how is it we have been friends this long and never talked about it? Because I, it is one of those weird kind of places. Sure. And, and here we are now discussing it. So yeah. So awesome. uh, now for those of you who, who are not aware, uh, Pennsylvania, pardon me. For those of you who are not aware, Centralia, Pennsylvania is, well, I guess it used to be a town mm, yeah. in, I guess, sort of Western Pennsylvania. Right. And it was a mining town. And then in 1962, in preparation for the May Day events, yeah. they set a fire at the, at the town dump. I, <laughs> as, su- I assume, as you do. Yeah, well, it's a celebratory fire. <laughs> I sort of have to assume they were making way for trash or, you know, trying to clear up room. That's all I can Maybe figure. Maybe it was a town activity. Like, hey, kids, let's go down to the <laughs> no. dump and watch the trash fire. I don't think it was. No? no. Okay. Well, I don't know what they do in Pennsylvania. <laughs> Hershey <laughs> Park and burning garbage. That's all they got going on. It's like the, Sims- the tire fire on the Simpsons. And the Simpsons. I love that. And that's probably where they got it from. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they, they set this garbage fire, but what they discovered is that it wasn't going out. And so they started, the fire department came in, they tried to put it out. Yeah. Every time they thought they'd put it out, the next day it came back. Yeah. <laughs> like a badhouse guest. Exactly. <laughs> so then in June, a resident of Centralia notified the state authorities and they made money available to fight it, but their version of fighting it was just moving the garbage around. <laughs> And wetting it again, <laughs> which of course this did nothing. No, because what they didn't realize was that the f- the dump was on top of an old strip mine uh, where they were where they used to mine coal. Right. Uh, because um, pardon me, Pennsylvania is the they call it the the coal region, and that's where anthracite coal. Um, all of I think all of America's anthracite coal. West Virginia is. Uh, what I don't know if they have anthracite in West Virginia. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I think they have. Uh, I think it's bituminous coal there. The difference is that that's um, amazing that you're this well versed in a <laughs> in a fuel source that no one has used in a hundred years. That's I'm right. really impressed by Are that. Are you saying that beautiful clean coal is not making a comeback? <laughs> I don't think so. No. Uh, yeah, I don't know much about it, but I know that anthracite coal is harder right. than bituminous coal, yeah. and so it's more useful for steel. It burns hotter oh, and longer. Pittsburgh, Steel City, of course. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They had mined coal underneath the t- city. This fire 
made its way to one of the underground mines. Not good. Caught fire. Not no. good. And um, basically, there was a lot of bureaucratic wrangling over how this was going to be treated. Right. Because they didn't really understand how bad it was. No, no. It wasn't until November 62, so six months after the fire happened, that they actually made serious efforts to put it out. Right. Uh, and they ran out of money by spring next year. Oh, Jesus. That's yeah. a bad fire. And... Uh, Basically, the, there were budget cuts happening at the Pennsylvania, I think, like min, their Ministry of Mines. I don't yeah. know what it's called. So then they came up with a new plan, which was to dig a barrier trench between the fire and the town. Oh, okay, so, like a fire trap, like, like yeah, in a like forest a, fire. A you, fire break or whatever yeah, it's Yeah, you cut down all the trees or you exactly, burn yeah. it yourself or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so they thought if we do this and... We'll oh, save the town. Exactly. Well, it didn't work. Surprise. Uh, because before they were even finished... Yeah. They realized that the fire had already gone past the barrier. <laughs> I love it. Oops. So government. I mean, it's <laughs> literally the, the the closing the barn door after the horses. Not only after the horse is gone, but after the horses hopped a plane to Rio. Yes. Picked up a couple mistresses yeah. and lost everything gambling, then come back in shame. <laughs> like it, this, it's it's not good. Let's build a let's build a dam. Oh, we're in six feet of water already. Well, that, I mean that's a St. Francis yeah. Dam disaster. That's a whole oh, other beast. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, was that in Pennsylvania? No, that's California. Uh, the St. Francis Dam <gasps> in, in the seventies. No, it? that was I think nineteen twenty six. There was a really bad dam break in the seventies. Maybe I'm not I'm not familiar with it. Anyway, but. Uh, uh, anyways, speaking of the ways we fuck up our own environment, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but a new plan was drafted to fight the fire, but it took years to filter through the bureaucracy. Of course. And not only that, but uh, there was a documentary I watched, uh, which <clears throat> Ian didn't, called "The Town That Was," and it's about. It's a really, actually, a really great documentary. I'll watch about it Centralia. after this. Yeah, it's, it's worth watching. <laughs> yeah, I will. It, it is worth I watching. I love Centralia, and it's only. I think it's only an hour and ten minutes. And the great thing about the town that was is that it actually approaches it as a town. Because I know a lot of histories grown up around Centralia. Right, right. People call it the modern side, the real Silent Hill. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, kind of ghoulish tourism around it. Right. But this was a town where people lived, where generations of families grew Absolutely. up. Absolutely. And eventually, as we'll get to, they had to leave. There is a show on Netflix called Dark Tourism. Have oh, you seen that? Everyone keeps telling me to watch it. I tried to watch one episode and I, I watched it. it. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I like the Chernobyl episode. And right. I like the Fukushima one because they all freaked out and voted to go back because it scared them so bad. Right. Um, it was okay. It's cheesy. Is it cheesy? Yes, it is. He's like right. the New Zealand Zach Baggins. Um, oh, but uh, but no, he's he genuinely tries to ask questions and get answers and okay. he's respectful. Uh, they did one where they were in Myanmar and oh, wow. asked all these questions and it was good. But he, um, I think Centralia was on the list. Oh, probably. Yeah, and and in the dark tourism, and he did go, and yeah, you can't. It's all gated off now, and you have just special permission to go in unless you live there, which we will get to. Yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, they were saying in this documentary that one of the delays was because it's technically government work. Right. They had to put this out to tender. No. So that delayed the, that delayed the issue by months. Because it's just an underground coal fire. Yep. No rush. It wasn't until May Take 1967 no. that they actually got to work on it. Five years later. Five years. It took, <gasps> I mean, technically four after it was really believed to be a problem. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. And it didn't take long for them at that point to fire to discover that the fire was burning as deep as 225 feet. You're done. Yeah. There's no way no. you can dig a trench. No. It's just no. not happening. It got worse from there. Oh, the fire no. started to produce huge amounts of carbon monoxide. Right. So there, everyone was in danger. Like it was coming up from the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. families were having to install carbon monoxide detectors, but there weren't enough. So some families were sharing them. So they would take turns over who got the carbon monoxide detector. Oh my God. Some families actually bought canaries. Really? Yeah. Because they couldn't get a carbon monoxide detector. So canaries just a literal canary in above the coal mine. above the coal mine yeah wow and uh and did that work or like did anybody die from that or? i don't believe so okay. um john coddington who used to own the gas station in centralia he almost died oh wow. he um he now i say i don't think so i could be wrong and if i am if anyone knows please please write in and correct me but i don't believe so but john coddington who owned the gas station he got home from work one day sat in his chair watched television and nodded off because which wasn't unusual mm -hmm, for him mm -hmm. but when his family came by they couldn't wake him up uh oh carbon monoxide no poisoning. they got him in the hospital he was okay wow but if they hadn't come by that would have been it for yeah, him yeah. yeah wow another thing that sort of came up in the documentary about John Coddington is at his gas station 
he kept losing gas because the fire would heat the tanks and evaporate it cause it to expand and it would go out the overflow valves no yep <laughs> oh that's so just sus. insult to injury right wow shit really got real on valentine's day 1981 when florence domboski who was a resident she saw a bunch of guys in suits walking around town and it, because you know small towns yeah suspicious yeah, yeah yeah so she sent her son todd out to have a look and see what's going on. Who are those guys? I love that you said her kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, my mom used to do that too. <laughs> um, but it was uh, Pennsylvania state officials coming to talk to the Centralia Borough officials. Right. Basically just trying to figure something out. Right. Because at this point, they are knee deep in what they, I don't think they still realize is going to be one of the great disasters, natural disasters in American history. Yeah. Not even natural disasters. No, it's man-made, man-made disaster. 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, so Todd went out and he noticed, that, well, he was on his way because uh, he was a teenager at the time. He saw this wi- these wisps of smoke coming up from the grass near these trees. So he went over to check it out, and the ground gave way underneath him. Uh-oh. Yes. He was up to his knees in warm mud. Not a good sign. So he tried to get out. He went down further. Right. And further. Right. And like further. quicksand. Almost like quicksand. Yeah. In hot mud. He was down several feet below ground level Not when he good. finally managed to grab a tree root. And... At that point, he started screaming. For He was screaming all along, but yeah. he really started screaming. His cousin was nearby, happened to hear him, ran, grabbed him, pulled him out. Uh, apparently, if he hadn't pulled him out then, he would have probably died of asphyxiation within minutes from the carbon monoxide spewing out of the of hole. Of course. And if he hadn't, that hole went down, I don't know exactly how far, but a ways down to a fire that was burning about three to 400 degrees. <gasps> Wow, so you're either asphyxiated or human barbecue. Yeah, you burn alive in a literal pit of fire. Like not a like a great, like a pit to hell opened up underneath you. Not a great day. No, that no. is a bad day. That's- and I mean the story goes on, but the gist of it is the government side of the town was not salvageable. Right. And the residents were given buyout offers so they could relocate. Which is a pretty major deal. They don't do that lightly. No, 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 no. no. And ultimately not everyone wanted to go. That, you know, despite the fact they were being given this deal. That's mind-blowing. It, it is. is um, it, they didn't understand or Maybe they just got used to it. It had been burning for 20 years. Ah, how much worse can it get? That's it. And yeah. and, and there is this sense of... Even the, the, the film centers around John Lakaitis Jr., okay. who was one of the last residents of Centralia. Right. He... Um, and in one shot, he seems like a really sweet guy. We'll talk more about him in a bit. But there is a shot of him... A wide shot where he's in the foreground. He's talking about how he thinks the government has overblown the risk of all this. It's a conspiracy theory? Well, not necessarily conspiracy theory, but like they've they've overplayed how bad it is. But as he is saying this, in the background, the hillside in the distance is smoldering. Wow. And it's it's this incredible cognitive dissonance, you know? Wow. He's, wow. So when people were deciding whether to stay or go, people got bitter. Yeah. And one resident whose name I can't remember, but they interview him in the film, he got death threats. When he decided to go. Really? Yeah. Like he's betraying the town. Exactly. Really? Which would not make me want to stay. No. I'm going to kill you. Like, okay. Well, I made the right choice. Made the right choice. Yeah, fuck all you guys. <laughs> that is so bizarre. Yeah. It'd be really interesting to do a psychological analysis of all that. Like oh, kind of a sociological. I'm sure it's out there. On. Oh, it'd be amazing. As residents sold up and left, the houses were actually dismantled by government workers. But like they were to make sure no one else would go in there. I guess so. They were literally taken apart and taken to the dump. It's to the point where if we were neighbors, we had a duplex, and you sold and I stayed. They would dismantle your side of the duplex and re what and reside my side to make it look like a a detached house. And if if you look online, I think John Lakaitis, one of his, I think his house was this was done to. Yeah. They had to put, of course, steel support beams in to keep it standing because it's meant to be held up by another house. And then they bricked those over so they looked like chimneys. Amazing. So as people left, so did their houses. Holy shit. It's crazy. By the time the documentary came out, I believe there were 11 people left in Centralia. Right. And they talked a lot to Lakaitis. And he seems like a good guy. Yeah. He seems like he just... You know, he, he he mows all the empty lots oh. and paints the benches and really tends the graveyard. Like he's keeping the town alive. He was, yeah. He he would worked in, he worked in Harrisburg, which I think is sixty miles away. So okay. he drove sixty miles uh, each way every day 
to I go from Centralia. Don't get that. No, no, I don't care about any place that much. Wow. I mean, Nikki asked me while we were watching it. She said, if, if this happened to Revelstoke, I mean, would you have stayed? And I said, Jesus, no. no. Like, I left just because I didn't like the job situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind if the fucking place is on fire. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Not really something you can put on the town website. No, no, no. no also come see fun. the coal fire. Yeah. Stay for the fun. Stay for the carbon monoxide. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he kept that place up, and wow. it was it was sad because you know obviously he was a young guy. I think at the time of the documentary, he was in his early thirties. Wow. So it was almost like he was a prisoner of the past. Yeah. You know, he kept yeah. the house just the way it had been and was trying to keep as much of the town just the way it had Aww. been. Yeah, it was It was really sad. And for what purpose? Because um, what I read about Centralia was if people, they could stay was the final thing, but they were never allowed to sell or give their home to anyone else. Like nope. when they... Well, his house was actually seized. The ownership of it was seized. I can't remember when. But by the time the documentary was made in 07, he'd no longer owned his home. Oh, I believe wow. it had been seized under eminent domain. Really? He was allowed to stay, right. but if he left, you can't that come back. It. Yeah. And in 2009, the government forced him out. Really? Yeah. So he, he now lives in a nearby town. He, I think he's got a kid now, so which is great. Yeah. And, you know, John, if you're, if you're out there, good for you. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just a fascinating example. And it reminded me of that story you told me about the woman whose parents died. Yes. Do you mind telling that here? Yeah. The story goes, uh, um, and I've seen the house, um, of a woman whose parents died. She couldn't handle it. It broke her heart. She's a professional woman, has a regular job, all these good things. But the home, her parents died in 1991, I believe. And the home is exactly as it was when they died. Medication on the coffee table. Wow. Dead plants in the windows, the cars and the carport, uh, which, of course, the tires are flat, the they're covered in filth. Um, at this point, the house is now falling down. The um, so it's, this is still going on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. Um, and she literally cannot handle this fact, and she's struggling. She doesn't live there. She well, thank God. she rents her own place, but she can't afford always to pay the property taxes on this house. Oh no. And so she struggles to do this, but will not. So this has been going on for 20, 30 yeah. years. Yeah, and wow. at this point, the house is probably unsalvageable. Like you, oh, it sounds like it would it, yeah. be the lot would be worth something, but the house would be worth nothing. But it's this, I don't know, this inability to move on or yeah. or or actually deal with the pain of losing a loved one. And maybe that was the same thing for this guy. It was the town. It was his memories. It was his childhood, and he just couldn't let them go. Maybe I mean, and, and I mean, nostalgia is a powerful thing. I yeah, actually but it shouldn't rule your life. No, but for right? a lot of people, it does. Ah, uh, yeah, I guess. I, I mean, I, I sort of refer to nostalgia a lot as a trap. Right. Especially, I mean, for me, I I can get caught up in that quite easily. Really? Oh yeah, I have to be really careful about sort of reflecting on times past because I it's it's like glue. It's like quicksand. Wow. See, I guess it's different for me. We emigrated when I was four from England. So boom, new start. Right. And then uh, when I was twenty went to school in Toronto and then I lived in New Brunswick and then I lived in Winnipeg and then I moved to Victoria. Right, so, yeah. The, you don't, you really don't have one place like that. So right. for me, and, and that's why it's always been really easy for me to downsize or get rid of stuff. It's like, mm, is this serving a purpose currently? No? Okay, goodbye. Right. Um, but I I can understand people get, I don't know, is it the emotions? I, I think it's I think it's emotion. I think it, it just ties into that sense of uh, what might have been. Your history. You know, and, and history, and and what that history means to you. I mean, I was I had this conversation with uh, with my wife on the weekend. You know, we were my niece's uh, birthday is coming up, right? And I'm not going to be able to make it back, right? It's just I, I'm not. It's just not going to happen. Send her good presents. She won't care. <laughs> True enough. <laughs> I, I have, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, I've missed a lot of her birthdays. Right. I mean, I used to be able to go back semi regularly. I, I tried. I think I made it to every birthday up to about six. Wow. Um, but you know, then things change and I haven't been able to make it to as many. Yeah. And I, I felt really bad about that. And I, I found myself doing this thing where I was reflecting on, you know, should I not have left? Really? You know, and what, maybe I made the wrong choice by leaving because I'm not there to see her grow up, you know, because right. I don't have kids. I have zero interest in having yeah, kids. Yeah. Thank I, God. Yeah. Right. Oh man. <laughs> the world doesn't need that. <laughs> It's interesting you say that, though, because, of course, my grandparents were in England. Right. As a kid, I think we went back maybe five times, and my grandparents remember them coming over maybe three times. None of my grandparents are part of my life. 
Right. They were visitors who came and stayed for a couple weeks every three or four years. I don't know. I mean, so it makes you sort of rootless. Sure, um, yeah. There is no past to reflect to. There right. is no home to go back to. And and going and being at a wedding or a birthday or even a funeral just wasn't possible. Right. Um, to fly home to England. Of course. On a whim. Um, so, yeah, I get I get where you're coming from because it, for you, it's close enough you, you can drive there. That's it. Yeah, it's, yeah. you know, seven, eight, nine, ten hours away. Right. Depending on, I guess, what, ten, ten hours total. Hmm. But, yeah, so I, I sort of understand that. And, I mean, even once I'm back in Revelstoke, you know, my grandparents' house, a lot right. of my childhood of is course. based there. Yeah. And they sold that because why wouldn't you? Yeah. Uh, and it was turned into two townhouses, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, you know, they've been dead for, my grandfather's been dead for 13 years this year. 14, wow. 14 for my grandmother. Yeah. And I still don't like walking past that house or, or driving past that house. Really? Yeah, if I can, I'll avoid it. It makes you sad? Or? Yep. I just get, I don't like looking at it. It bums me out. Right. And I mean, I reckon I'm not bitter they did it because again, it, it had to be done. But there's still that, even though I've been I've been gone there for 11 years, like yeah. I haven't lived in Revelstoke for 11 years. Yeah. But that's still, that still has a powerful pull. Well, I get that. I mean, when I was in Calgary a few weeks ago, I drove past where my dad used to live, and he's been dead for 20 years now. Right. So yeah, I so yeah, that. absolutely. But uh, going back to Centralia. Um, <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. No. 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 It's, well, it's the attachment of things past. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What is it about you that attracts you to it? Because, I mean, I guess before we get there, we should describe sort of what it looks like now for people who don't know. There's not much there. No. You know, the, no, the old I... highway is on private land. Really? Yeah. The, oh, wow. you, you've probably seen the pictures of yeah. it. It's like spray painted yeah. and that's on private land now. The government oh. sold that. To get there, you have to hike a bit. Right. And beca- <laughs> that rules me out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, because the, the fire has sort of moved. It's still burning. Yeah. Um, they believe it'll burn for another 200 years. Wow. Yeah, it's sort of out towards Mount Carmel uh, now. Good but grief. when I was there in 2014, you could still see smoke coming up in like in the distance from yeah. the ground. Wow. Yeah. How far in did you go? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what sort of what the whole town looked like. Right. Um, did you see anything town-like? I, I believe I did see one or two houses. Yeah. But that's, that's it. it. Just a lot of empty lots. A lot of houses. There's a couple houses. I believe there was a truck or two. Really? Um, mm. Yeah. There were still people there. Wow. But I was, uh, honestly, I felt guilty being there. And like, I did. Like you're gawking at a corpse kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And I didn't stay. I mean, no, you know, I, my, I, I, I have very few memories of it. I remember the sign that warns you that there can be subsidences. There can be, right. you know, there are potentially poisonous gases. CYA. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we went in and, and sort of drove around, but it felt. The whole place felt jangled. Yeah. It felt unsettled, like you were walking on eggshells. Yeah. And I just thought, I don't belong here. No. This is a, this is a shitty thing for me to be I, gawking at. I think it would feel unsettled anyway, because you're never knowing if the road's going to collapse or not. That's probably like, a big part of it. Yeah, a huge and, part of it for me. And I think that's one of the reasons I just thought, no, we're yeah. not sticking around. Yeah. I, again, I felt, because those people know. I yeah. mean, you're in your house, oh, there's these assholes from outside who are coming to look at your misfortune. Yeah. And that just doesn't feel like a good a good no. thing to do. No. no. So, um, but yeah, so the, the actual highway itself, you have to hike to okay. the, that highway. Okay. Uh, and beyond that, there's just, there were, t- there's a lot of tape up when I was there. So st- stretches of the woods were taped off because apparently that is really uncertain ground. Wow. Yeah. Well, I first heard about Centralia in a Bill Bryson book. Oh, okay. I love Bill Bryson. Bill Bryson's all great. Books. And uh, he did um, in a, what was the book? The American one? on an undiscovered continent or something. I don't remember the name of the exact book of this one, but Centralia was in it. Okay. He drove coast to coast. Right, um, right, right, and right. Centralia was... And that just caught me. That caught my... How had I never heard of this kind right. of thing? And, uh, of course, went to the trusty Google and devoured everything I could find. Right. Um, and it just... Things like that fascinate me. I love urban exploration. Right. Um, abandoned buildings, old camps, old resorts, old hotels... I can't get enough of that. I could spend a whole day just going through those pictures and, oh, yeah. and that kind of thing. So for me, in some ways, Centralia is like the ultimate in abandoned places. Right. Um, but because of such a monstrous cock up on, on a human level, like we just... That's, I think, the, the the thing that scares me most about Centralia is there's no... 
I mean, there are people, of course, who have, uh, you know, conspiracy ideas about it, but right. those people are stupid. <laughs> um, it's just, this is what happens yeah. when no one treats a disaster like a disaster. Right. And I mean, I try not to draw too much of a connection between that and our current situation with the climate right. because you see people going, ah, it's fine. Ah, it's fine. Nope. No, it's not fine. No. It's not fine. And the longer you let this fucker burn the less ground there's going to be for you to settle on at the end of it. But no one's doing anything. No. Well, I mean, I, I like to think, you know, let's not let's not dwell on that. I, I'm having a hard enough time sleeping these days. <laughs> but uh, but that's what frightens me, yeah. is that it's just a human error yeah. magnified. Oh, big time. You know, in, to, in a huge, to a huge degree. Yeah. Interestingly, though, uh, there's a lot of Pennsylvania that is sort of abandoned. There's a lot of places where... You know, people, there were things, and and now there aren't. There was a, a line in that documentary, the town that was, that caught me. They were saying that America is great at making towns, but they don't know how to end them. Right. There is no playbook for ending a town. And when I worked for the church, we would run into it all the time. We would have a church with like three or four people. Really, it was no longer economically sustainable. It wasn't viable um, because the town had changed. People don't go to church anymore. All those factors. And that was a huge thing, was it was a real miracle if you could get the 10 or 15 people remaining to agree that the best thing to do would be to shut down the church and right. you know, sell off the building and amalgamate with whatever it was, um, and people wouldn't. Yeah. And, and, and I, so I kind of have a little bit of insight into Centralia because when you talk to these people, it's like, well, my child was baptized here. My parents were married here. We buried my father here. So they have all these ties to the past and their family history is all tied up in the church and they don't want to let it go. They don't know how to let it go. So right. it, it took people from England who, of course, have experienced this uh, to come over and kind of show us how to do it. Really? Mm -hmm. So you had sort of someone who had who knew how to shut a place down. Yeah. England did it differently. They didn't really shut anywhere down. What they did was rather than each church have its own priest, they would put four priests in a major city, and those four priests were in charge of 25 churches. Oh, okay. So the priest was only expected to be at one of the churches once every four weeks, and the rest of the time it was the people in the community who would run the services on those other weeks. Oh. So they were able to keep their church as long as they could pay the bills to heat it and all oh, that. Oh, right. But they were no longer responsible for a sole salary of a priest. Right. So it's sort of almost like a co-op program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we're not good at that here. No. It, it did not work out. Um, so the church on the island specifically, I believe they ended up selling about 15 churches. Really? Which, because of the cost of land around here, will help fund the church for probably the next 50 years. Ugh. I know. Ugh, I said. Beautiful museums. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, so I get the kind of mentality with Centralia because they were born there. Their parents were born there. This yep. is where they lived their lives. They went to school there. It's very difficult to separate your human experience from the place you happen to be. Sure, or, or the things you have. Or, right. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. On the subject of, of abandoned things, I was talking briefly to Buddy Young from, uh, he's in a couple of the bands we featured on the last episode, Dolly right. Sods and Steel City Ruins. He was telling me about the time him and his friend explored uh, mines, uh -huh. old mines. Nope. In and around sort of the, uh, I guess like the, I don't know if it's the Allegheny Valley or right. the uh, Lehigh Valley, I'm not sure, but somewhere around where he lives near nearish to Pittsburgh. Right. They were exploring these empty mines and he said it was, this is something people do. You know, they... they so unsafe. Oh, I know. And he, he said he uh, he was just not into it. No. He, he was in there for a little bit and he yeah. said everything in my body was just saying, get out of here. He yeah. said, I don't know if that was a paranormal experience or just... Mental just common sense. So, yeah, yeah, sort of a survival mechanism. Yeah, but no he kidding. sent us some videos to watch sometime. Uh, cool. YouTube videos of people exploring these mines. Oh. Not him, but just Couldn't do people it. with a lesser sense of self-preservation. I don't even like caves. Oh, no. Like <laughs> anywhere no. where the ground is above me? Nope, not happening. My friend, he went caving up by Qualicum. Yeah, There's Corn Lake Caves. Yeah, I think so. You have to squiggle through some oh, of those. Oh, not happening. It's going to be set on fire. <laughs> Which, if I went to Centralia, I probably would be. The, yeah. <laughs> I, I've been in one cave, uh, the Aylwee Caves in Ireland. And? Uh, not again. I mean, it's all, all walking. They've got like a metal walkway. Right. It's not caving. Right. It's just like a tour through a cave. Okay. Well, uh, see, I could handle that as long as I'm not wiggling through narrow spaces. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. 
I don't mind that kind of caving, but I'm not putting a light on my head and wiggling through oh, no. caves. Never going to happen. I remember being underneath Dashur in uh, Egypt. Okay. The, the Great Pyramid of Dashur. I think it's something like 5,000 years old. And you have to sort of... Um, the passageway, you kind of have to crab walk a little bit, like right. hunch walk down to get down to it because it's, you know, yeah. quite a distance. Under yeah, it's the, got an angle, yeah. Yeah, it's at an angle under the earth. And that was one of the first times I remember saying, oh, this is a panic attack. Oh. Because you are under, you know, thousands of tons of stone. I just can't Which is even. thousands of years old. Yeah. And you're thinking, oh my God. And, and now bear in mind, you have, I mean, it's about five feet. And I'm not yeah. that tall. Like, I mean, you know, I, I, I didn't have to stoop much. But still, it no, was I know. panicking. It's enough. And, and it was lit, so I can't imagine having to do that somewhere where it's not lit. I, I did a, a tour in Sudbury of a nickel mine. Oh, yeah. So you go, I think it was... I've done that too, actually. 30 floors down or something. It's deep, deep yeah. underground. And they get you out of the elevator and they take you down into the... And it feels weird. It smells weird. It's clammy. It's cold. And then they're like, now we're going to turn the lights out. So you know what perfect darkness yep. is. And they did it. And I was like, nope. Nope. Hard pass. Because all I could think of was the amount of earth above me. Yeah. And I'm very squishy. So yep. I was not happy about that. In that Centralia documentary, they show the conditions by which anthracite mining was done. Right. And they show what happens. They show that like the single light that they used to have to navigate by and how they used to have to slow these carts manually. You know, sort wow. of like by jabbing the stick between yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the spokes, the spokes of, the of the thing. Just a nightmare. No wow. wonder. Uh, they, they said that in the bad old days, at the height of it, uh, at least a person a day would die. <gasps> really? Yeah. And that was a legitimate expense they were willing to sure. make. Sure. Yeah, because human lives are just another Commodity. line on the ledger. Yeah. It's a wow. horrible, horrible, oh, horrible yeah. thing. Yeah. No. But uh, yeah, so Centralia, it's it's a fascinating place. And I mean, a lot of legends have grown up around it. You know, um, again, people talk about it like it's a real Silent Hill. Right. Like it's kind of this dimensional portal, things like this. But it just seems like a, a sad place where people used to live and now they can't. Well, yeah, it's a garbage burn that got out of control. Yeah, exactly. Right? It, I mean, you never see these disasters happening because of one thing. No, it's, Do you know what I mean? Like, no dam bursts because of one thing. Nope. No city catches on fire underground because <laughs> of one thing. It's a series of events. Yeah, yeah. No, just a series of bad decisions. Titanic. Yeah, absolutely. A series of bad decisions. Yeah, so. and, and people always say it just happened, but it really doesn't work like that. No. There are always decisions. And then usually we make the wrong decisions. Yeah. <laughs> As human beings. Because it's... To make it worse. It's the easy thing now. Yeah. It's simpler if I just do X. Right. But we don't think, oh, this was going to lead to X, to Y and Y and Z. Yeah. You know, I, I like to say that um, my job, you know, that I, the things I do, I'm the hole in the boat guy. Right. So you, you hire me if you've got a plan. And you say, tell me how this goes wrong. Right. And I will tell you every way it goes wrong. You are wrong. the devil's advocate. Because, yeah. I, because yeah. I'm really good at following the chain and finding the, the weak links. Yeah. People so rarely really think about that. They, I know. It's... I'll have people tell me, oh, you've got this ironclad plan. And then they show me and I say, oh, <laughs> like how much, how much do you want to know? How bad do you want to know this is? Yeah. Like, do you want to know all the way how bad it is? Yeah. Or just a little bit? Well, it's about systems thinking, right? It's not just looking at the one thing. It's looking at backing up yep. and looking at the whole picture and then going oh yeah no this is no good I like what you're doing but it's never going to work in this context yep. right yeah and most people don't aren't able to think through that way no and then you end up with Centralia <laughs> exactly and places like it so uh, for the second half of this episode um, I'm going to uh, I've decided or we decided, <laughs> we decided which means Bryn decided yeah yeah, yeah. so I'm going to tell a series of stories. Some of them I've told on the show before, uh, but I'm telling them to give context to a story that I have never told on this show before. Uh, only maybe eight people in the world know this story yeah. uh, because I've been afraid to share it um, for reasons that I will become clear. Yeah. So I, I said on the previous episode on, on uh, The Haunting of Pittsburgh that I have a long-standing connection to Pennsylvania. Now, that, that connection is not uh, physical. My family's not from there. My family are all from Italy, yeah. you know. But years ago, uh, maybe seven, eight years ago, I had a dream. And in that dream, I was on a train, and I fell off the train in a little industrial town somewhere, or an industrial area in a little town somewhere. Right. And in the dream, I was wandering around this industrial area, and it was sunset. 
And once the sun had set, I was realized something was near and chasing me. Okay. And in the dream, I started running. And I didn't recognize this complex I was running through. It was just some kind of industrial complex. But the last thing I remember before waking up was I ran up to a, an office door. The door was white. It had, it was a, like a white wooden door. It had a square pane of glass at eye level with, uh, it was safety glass. It had the metal mm-hmm. threads yeah. running through yeah. it. And I remember there was a light above it, a naked bulb. And I remember being just about to open the door and go inside where I'd be safe when I woke. And just before I came all the way out of my sleep, I heard a voice say, Edgley. Hmm. So I filed it. I kind of filed it away. And then, I don't know, a couple months later, it occurred to me and I thought, oh, I should look that up, see if that's a place. Right. And it was. It was a little town on the railroad in southeastern Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Yeah. So... Um, I I went to go check it out on Google Street View, and I shit you not, it's not like this anymore, but at the time, all the streets along the railroad were fogged out on Google Street really? View. Really? Yep. You couldn't that's see. That's weird. Very weird. Yeah. So I thought, well, that's that's weird. I thought, if I ever get a chance, I'll, I'll go there. So then, in 2014, as I've, I've told this before on the show, I, I helped a friend move from Austin, Texas to Boston. Right. So he could go to university. And along the way, we had two weeks to do it, so we did a lot of detours. And we went through Philadelphia to see a friend of his. So I asked if we could go through Edgeley. And we got there, and we did. And I went there, and now it's it's just a little, quiet little suburb um, of Bristol, Pennsylvania. So it's there's not much there. Right. But there is an industrial facility right on the railroad. No. Yep. Doesn't look the same. No. But it's like a big, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's yeah. some kind of industrial facility. Hmm. So I thought, well, that's interesting. And then another dream I had years ago, in it I was actually a woman. And everyone laughs at that part. But in the dream I was a woman, and I was sitting in my house. And Were you a pretty woman? Or? I never saw my face. Oh, too bad. You got way too into that, though. That's, <laughs> that's a concern. So in the dream, I'm a woman, and I'm sitting on the couch, and my husband is about to go out for a jog, and he's standing in the doorway holding the door open, and I remember there was a window next to the door, and the walls were floor-to-ceiling wainscoting, that old-school wood paneling. Yeah. And my husband said he was going for a jog and asked if we needed anything, and I told him to pick up batteries. So he had headphones on of some kind. I think it was maybe a Walkman, like a cassette player, and he left. And at that point, my viewpoint shifted to outside the house. Right. And I saw him jogging away from the house, and there were four blue houses next to each other, next to a river, and then in the distance there was a huge bridge going over the river. Uh, And I remember specifically seeing the houses were identical. They were blue um, siding. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was wooden siding. And I remember seeing the electrical meters on the back of each house. Hmm. As the the husband was listening to Peter Gabriel's Salisbury Hill. And oh, wow. I, I actually didn't know the song at the time. I right. just, when I woke up, that part where he says, you know, my heart's going boom, boom, boom. Yeah. That was in my head. So I had to Google that to find out what the song was. Oh. Turns out Edgley's right on the river. And there are houses along that river. No. And there's a giant bridge just down the river. Now, wow. the houses don't look the same. No. But the general setting is is similar. Interesting. So I thought, well, that's weird. But nothing else happened there. Nothing. Yeah. There was no great revelation. So we yeah. kept driving. And we started driving towards Centralia because I told my friend yeah. about this. And Well, another dream I used to have was about a school. And I used to dream about this place a lot. I haven't in a while. But in the dream, it's a brick schoolhouse with white walls inside. And I'm a little kid there. And at lunch, we go outside and we play. And there's a courtyard in the back. Surrounded on three sides by the brick schoolyard. Right. By the brick schoolhouse. And uh, it, that's it. It's, we would just play and then go to school and nothing interesting. It was just, a, you know. Yeah. But I'd never seen a building, because in Revelstoke, we don't really have brick, brick. schoolhouses. No, it's all wood because that's what's around there. Yeah. yeah. So then I, one one day I happened to be watching a news report from Washington, D.C. of all places. And they were talking about uh, a murder in Bethesda, Maryland. Yeah. And I noticed that the walls in the building they were talking about were stone. And I thought, oh, I wonder if this the school I'm dreaming about is like an East Coast kind of thing. And then while we're driving towards Centralia, we're driving through the town of Cressona, or Cressona, I don't know how it's pronounced. But I was driving. We went under a railroad bridge. And as it came out the other side, a voice in my head said, turn right. So I thought, okay, let's see what happens. So I turned right. Followed the railroad up along 
sort of a winding hill until finally at the top of the hill there's a brick schoolhouse and I, wow. looked, I looked at it and I thought no so I parked I said to my friend I just gotta look at something I'll be yeah. right back yeah. and I'm sure he thought I was fucking nuts sure went around back courtyard wow. surrounded on three sides by a brick school no way looked different there was a little greenhouse yeah. and a picnic yeah. table yeah. but it was there wow so I took some pictures and thought well that's strange yeah but I'm sure there's lots of places like this Went around to the front, and the sign said, uh, erected AD 2000. And I thought, oh, well, it's a brand new school. You know, because part of me was starting to think, is this like a past life right, thing? Right, or, right. Uh, I don't know, I'm just making shit up. Well, I was doing some research last year for this show when I just happened to look up schools in Pennsylvania for something else. Right. No, that part of the school was built in 1921. Oh, my god. The addition was built in 2000. Oh, wow. The part with the courtyard is part yeah, of the original yeah, building. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So the third dream I had was about a bend in a river where people would hear sounds of battle and sometimes find musket balls in the grass. Hmm. But then in 2016, when the same friend was moving from New York City to uh, San Francisco, right. along the way, uh, I, I said, well, I'll find some spooky stuff. Right. And I figured we'd be driving nearish to Gettysburg. Right. And I thought, well, there's got to be tons of stuff in Gettysburg. Oh, yeah. And then I remembered that dream and I thought, oh, I should see if there's like a haunted river right. near Gettysburg. Yeah, there is. The river is the Brandywine. Okay. And it's, uh, what happened there was called the Battle of Chad's Ford. Right. And the town, it's near the town of Chad's Ford. So I said to my friend, I said, well, there's this haunted river, you know, so let's go check it out. We went there, we left New York at night, got to Chad's Ford quite late, drove, you know, historic Route 100 where people claim to hear sounds of battle and see soldiers marching. Of course, saw nothing. It was creepy because there was steam rising up from the ground, but not really creepy. Yeah. Just like, ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's such a windy road, we couldn't really slow down. Yeah. So the next day, we had to get something quick done to the car before we left. And I said to my friend, I said, hey, do you mind if we drive that road again? But if you drive, so right. I can kind of watch. So we did that. And it was a completely different experience. Really? Because to me now, everything looked familiar. Right. And I thought to myself... Why does everything look familiar now? Why didn't I recognize it? Why right. doesn't like why didn't it feel like this last night? Right. And this voice popped into my head and said, "Because we weren't here at nighttime." Wow. And I thought, "What? Okay." So there was a a, a pullout on the road. So I asked my friend to pull over. And I got out. Now I couldn't see the river. Right. There was a wooden fence, and then just tall grass, trees, and then beyond the trees, the river. But as I stood there looking out over this plain of grass, again, the same voice in my head said, well, boys, I made it back. And I didn't, didn't know where that came from. No. So I got, I thought, that's strange. But I had this strange sense of fulfillment. Right. So I got in the car and we kept driving. There is a, an art museum at the mouth of the river, or not the mouth, but along the river that yeah. my friend wanted to see. Yeah. So we got there and the parking lot was crazy full. And I thought, Jesus, this is a popular art museum. <laughs> Uh, but what I realized is that um, there's the art museum, but there's also, this is where people go tubing on the river. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is where you line up with your tube right. to hop in. Yeah. And I got weirdly angry about this, huh. about the tubing. And again, the voice popped into my head again, and it said, we bled in that river. Now they're playing in it. Right. But then another voice popped in and said, yeah, but that was the whole point. Right. And I wasn't mad anymore. Huh. And I can't explain it. Sounds like you've got like about 11 different Pennsylvanians living in your head. I'm starting to think, right? <laughs> and I really wanted to walk the river near the museum, but we didn't have time. Right. So I kind of thought, well, that's, yeah, I don't know. I, I That's, that's been, really interesting. Yeah, but that's been my connection to Pennsylvania. I've wow. had all these, and, and then watching, um, I remember watching the movie Out of the Furnace with uh, Christian Bale. Right. Which is set in Pennsylvania. Right. And those streets, the, the tightly packed little houses, whenever I've been through Pennsylvania, it feels like home. Wow. I feel like I'm where I should be. I, and, and I don't, you know, I mean, there's not like my work is portable, you know, <laughs> nothing like that. I just, there's a sense of belonging. Yeah. And I don't get it anywhere else. Interesting. Um, I mean, I love going to Los Angeles. Yeah. But I don't feel like I belong there. I know I don't belong there. I like being there. Yeah. But I don't belong in Los it's Angeles. It's just a crazy energy there. Yeah. But Pennsylvania feels like home. So I've told these stories on the show before in different capacities. Right. None of this is news. Right. This next thing is news. and Well, not news, news, but it's new to the show. <laughs> but I'm really interested in missing people. Right. You know, because in my life, I have 
sort of had a strange connection to missing people. Right. And did I, I told you about my broker? Yes. Yeah. So That's crazy. So I had a conversation the other day with, um, I guess it's a bit of a peek behind the curtain. I have a broker. Don't um, we all? Oh, yes. <laughs> we were having a conversation about something the other day and I, somehow the topic of missing people came up and it turns out we both met the same girl who went missing on the trail of tears. That's crazy. Yeah. That's such a weird coincidence. She came to my family store on her way up to Prince George. She just stopped in as she was drifting through town. And I remember she was a very sweet girl. Her name was Nicole Hoare and H-O-A-R. And I remember seeing her, her debit card, I think it was, and it might've been her ID and saying, and thinking to myself, man, what an unfortunate name for such a sweet girl. Right. And then it turns out this fellow I know whose, whose name I won't, I won't give on air. He worked with her on a forestry crew up north and she disappeared on the trail of tears up on, in Northern BC and has never been heard from again. Whoa. But what a fascinating coincidence that That's both of so weird. not from the same town. We've never no. met in person. No. We both met this person on their last journey. Wow. And I've, I, I've had attachments to other people who've gone missing. I mean, my, uh, my stepfather's grandson, right. uh, from, you know, sort of past relationships, he disappeared for several months and then turned up in a lake. A friend of mine from elementary school, her father was last seen cycling north of town, not our town, but a town, mm -hmm. gone. Body never found. Really? Found the bike next to a river. He was never found. Wow. A fellow I went to high school with, his father disappeared. He was eventually found in a river. So I, I have a connection to a lot of people. Um, and actually, rivers, apparently. And rivers. <laughs> uh, my aunt's first husband went missing in a lake. Um, Jack of Clubs Lake up near Quinell and right. uh, never found. Wow. They found his, his swamped canoe. They never found his body. Wow. So I, I have a real connection to missing people. And when I did, um, if you remember, I think it was on episode nine, the Shadow People episode, I talked about doing a hypnotic regression. Yeah. And one of the things... I asked, actually the very last thing I asked this, whatever you want to call it, my higher self, my spirit yeah. was, why do I have such a connection to missing people? And it ended the session early, hmm. 45 minutes ahead of schedule. It, it, it wouldn't even tell the person conducting the session why it was leaving. It kept saying, I don't know, but I'm going away now. I can feel myself becoming less connected. And now this story I've only ever told you and maybe seven other people. I was reading David Pallady's Missing 411, A Sobering Coincidence, which is about young men who have disappeared and then turned up drowned in rivers months after they've originally gone missing. Right. But their rate of decay is not consistent with how long they've been gone missing. Right. And as I was reading the book, this image kept occurring to me. And it was this really strong mental image. I was almost like I was there. Right. And so in front of me was a pink brick building. Next to it was sort of grass and trees. I knew that behind me was a beige wall. Uh, I was standing on a road. It was a two-lane kind of broken road. Right. In my head, there was a stone arch over the road to my left. And I knew that beyond this building I was looking at, what, there was a path going behind it. I knew that beyond that was a river and beyond that was a highway or a road. Right. And I also knew that to my right, was a bridge. It felt empty, but I still felt watched. It felt like I was alone, but there was presence. And I had it in my head that it was in Maryland, that this was a real place in Maryland. So every now and again, I'd get bored and I would look on Google Maps in Maryland and I would try and find places that looked like this. Right. Not that I ever thought I'd really find it, yeah. but it was such a strong image and it would not go out of my head. Uh, but eventually I gave up and then I had that session and one of the last thing the voices said, of course, was there's that place he keeps fucking trying to find, like he trying to take him away from him, but he's gonna, he's gonna fucking find it. I know he is because he's persistent, but there's this place, it's, he thinks it's in Maryland, but it's not, it's in Pennsylvania, it's, 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 it's a hole in the soul of the world. Cool. I don't want him to find it. Yikes. So, I started looking at places in Pennsylvania, but same thing, right? You know, needle so in a haystack. very big state, yeah. And I didn't really think I'd ever find anything. Well, then I was reading Case Studies in Drowning Forensics. And that book, again, I talked about in episode 10, I think. And that book is an examination of the same drowning cases that Pilates talked about, but in much greater depth. 
And anyone who says that, I mean, you can argue about a lot of Pallavi's methods, about whether or not, you know, the people who went missing in national parks just, you know, uh, like hypothermia. I mean, it's a whole debate, and I'm not going to get into it here. But the drowning cases, particularly in America, uh, these are telling. You know, there are there is there is forensic evidence to indicate that there was foul play, mm. and that it is being not. It's not a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. I have friends in law enforcement. You work in law enforcement. They work very hard, but things slip. Mistakes sometimes get made, or yeah. you just, especially in America, there is such a volume of work. Oh, huge! You can only do so much. Yeah. So I don't think it's a conspiracy, but there just seems to be a continuous number of missed opportunities in investigating these things. But one of the one of the, the the bodies that they found was frozen solid. I think it was in Minnesota, and it was frozen so solid it took twenty six hours in the morgue to thaw. Wow. The ruling by the ME was that this person froze because they'd been missing for a couple of weeks. They were frozen in the water. The contention the authors of this book made was that for someone to be frozen that thoroughly, it wouldn't be possible in a river because the temperatures are going to vary. You know, they're going to get warmer in the day, cooler at night, warmer in the day, cooler at night, and the body's going to go up and down. They said that in order for a body to be that thoroughly frozen, it would need to be frozen industrially. Right. Like uh, flash freezing. So I put down the book, I grabbed my laptop, and I googled frozen food processing, Pennsylvania, and I found it. Hmm. The place I'd seen. Right. Oh, wow. It's not exact, but it's a red brick building. In front of it is a two-lane broken uh, asphalt road with a yellow strip beneath it. Behind me is the frozen food processing plant. It's white, not beige. Yeah. And the building is red, not pink. But as Anthony pointed out when I told him about this. In the When I saw it in my mind's eye, it was was, um, sunset. Well, I was thinking sodium arc. That could be too. Lights, right? Changes color of everything. But in sunset, it would look pink. Absolutely. Well, next to it, trees. Yeah. There's a road that goes behind it. Yeah. Behind that road is a river. Beyond that river is is another highway. To the right is a bridge. Wow. And there's no stone arch over the road, but in the trees to the left of this building, there is an old stone homestead. Wow. Yeah. So it's all there. And it is in Union City, Pennsylvania. Right. About an hour and 45 minutes north of Pittsburgh. Now, I'm not saying, I don't think these people have anything to do with these drownings. I'm not right. saying that. Right. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that this series of circumstances brought you to the picture to that place that's pretty wild it's pretty wild yeah and it scared the shit out of me yeah so i've told a handful of people but i don't know what to do with it Hmm. you know i don't i don't know where it goes from here maybe you need to go there maybe um i actually hired a remote viewer to try and give me some sense of why i was so fascinated with this place right and she very accurately described the place you know i gave her a series of coordinates yeah and she came back and she said, well, this is near, I feel like this is near Ohio. And she said, there's something to do with a giant, a giant nearby. Well, I found out the building I was looking at was a union chair factory. Oh, Because wow. they used to make a lot of chairs in Union City. Right. And there used to be a giant chair at the entrance to town. Like oh a giant gosh. would sit. There you go. She said, there used to be a bar on this street. I got a hold of a woman who used, uh, the woman at the museum there. Yeah. There used to be a bar on that street. Wow. There's no mention of this online anywhere. And no. again, even I, she didn't even know that I was talking about Union City. No. She, she, all she had was UCIE. So she had all these things, but again, no indication of why I was drawn there. Hmm. So I finally thought, you know, since we're talking about Pittsburgh, um, since I'm considering going there in October, I thought, why not finally tell this story, get it out in the world, yep. and see if it makes sense to anyone else. That's awesome. So if yeah. you have any idea what the fuck is going on, <laughs> send us your emails at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Perfect. If it was me, I'd probably want to just go there. So maybe it's time to go there and check it out. I get the impression that I shouldn't be there alone. Right. Thinking about it, all all these places I've gone to, I've gone with someone. Someone who's also not at all sensitive. Right. So it's almost like I need some kind of a bit of a buffer. An anchor. Yeah, an anchor to sort of keep me from spinning off. Right. Like I mentioned, I was considering going to Pittsburgh in October. Steel City Ruins is doing a show on the 11th, and I'd right. kind of like to see it. 
I've been meaning to go for years. And so that seemed like as good a reason as any. I'm not yeah. specifically going for that. Right. But I thought if I can go while that's happening, why not? Right. Uh, and I considered trying to work in a trip to Union City, but that part of it didn't feel right. Hmm. I, I, there was sort of like a sense of red right. when I started planning that part. So I thought, maybe not right now. Maybe that's not where I'm meant to be. Uh, maybe I need more information. Again, it could be nothing. Yeah. But for some reason, I kept seeing that place. And then I found it. It's the reason. Now I got to figure out what next. Yeah, so absolutely. Very cool. Again, if you can help out. We do have a lot of great listeners in Pennsylvania. So we do, yeah, yeah. Maybe they have some ideas. So that is my strange stories of Pennsylvania. I really wanted to get that out, and Ian very kindly indulged me. <laughs> let me yak for like half an hour straight. Well, no, I think it's good because then if someone's out there, I mean, it's always good to crowdsource, right? So yeah, if yeah. you can get other people thinking about this or know something about this or it rings a bell somewhere, then you're going to get some more information. I guess that's going to do it for bonus episode number three. This is a, a very long bonus episode, <laughs> so hope you folks like that. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, we'll, we'll be back in... I, I guess a week. A week, yeah. yeah with uh, episode number 40. Mm-hmm. Wow. Fancy. Wow. And I, I guess we should also announce that uh, as of tonight, we have a new member of the Ghost Story Guys team. Yep. In addition now to us and Luke on research and Rachel on the Facebook page, we now have Anthony Yay. helping us out with long-term planning and yeah. some uh, research. He is way braver than either of us. 100%. So <laughs> if we need someone to someone to go to, to Union City, we'll, <laughs> we'll, send, we'll send Anthony. Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be at the Sydney Market on Thursday from yep. 5 to 8.30. Yep. So come see us, uh, in, of course, in Sydney, BC, if you happen yep. to be in the neighborhood. I wanted to give a shout out to Tyler Clemens, who is uh, streaming on Twitch at Muro Media, M-U-R-O Media. He wanted permission to have our show playing in the background while he played video games and did uh, artsy stuff on Which Twitch. Which is awesome. And that's cool as hell. Uh, and uh, so go check Tyler out when he's <laughs> doing his thing. Uh, thanks for listening, Tyler. That's really cool. And Luke wanted us to give a shout out to Folklore Art on Redbubble because they did this sweet design, which is a mashup of Karate Kid and the Wendigo. Nice. It's that's amazing. Bonsai Dark. So uh, <laughs> if you search Bonsai Dark on, on Redbubble, you'll find it. And we'll also link it in the show notes. There you go. Earlier in the episode, I mentioned Buddy Young of Steel City Ruins and Dolly Sods, two of the three bands we played on last week's episode. Buddy has kindly lent us the use of one of his solo tracks for our outro music tonight. The track, Morning Sickness, is available on Bandcamp under the name Old Enemy. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We'd be pathetically grateful. Absolutely. <laughs> and we will be giving proper shoutouts to all our new patrons on the next show. Yep. All right, we'll be back soon with episode number 40, and until then, into the darkness we go. Mm -hmm.